I saw a psychologist in that first week and she said, I just want to give you permission that you don't have to like any single step of this. You don't have to look for silver linings. You can hate the whole thing if you want, which I thought that's a bit extreme. It's just such another whole layer of pressure on you to Mm. also then have to be this super positive person, which, you know, at first I was like, I'm going to be the most positive cancer patient. I'm going to get an A triple plus in cancer. You know, it's going to be great. And then you're like, no, that's so unhelpful. Life gives you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons, into lemonade. Because we all want to know how they did it the lessons they learnt, and what life is like sipping limoncello on the other side. Let's get juicing. Rani Benjamin was living the life of her dreams. A great job, a great life, and a great future. But despite everything going exactly to plan, she just didn't feel herself and no one could tell her why. After some blood tests, Brani was eventually diagnosed with stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma at the age of just 31. From that moment, her entire life was upended, never to be the same again. It's been a long four years, but Brani thankfully now has made a full recovery. But of course, she's learned a hell of a lot during the process. And thankfully for us, she's penned the go-to guide when it comes to how to get through your world turning upside down. It's called Life is Tough, But So Are You. And it's brilliant. I can't begin to explain how much I enjoyed every minute of listening to Bryony speak. Have a listen because I know you will too, especially if you're going through a tough time now. Here's Bryony. Bryony, welcome to the Lemonade podcast. To say I am absolutely thrilled to have you on this podcast is an absolute understatement. So thank you for being here. Oh, I'm stoked to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. I've been reading your book and watching all your videos and having a few sobs on the couch while my son and my the dog just look at me like, what is she <laughs> out now. So (laughs) thank you for being so generous with that book. And um, I'm sure it's helping so many people, which we will get into. But with all my interviews, I love to just go right to the start. So can you just take me right back, Bryony? What was your childhood like? What was growing up like for you? Yeah, well, I, I had a wonderful childhood. I have to say I've got two little sisters below me. They're twins. And so three girls, uh, we grew up in a family vet practice. So uh, that was just a, a really fun, like would have great been occupation so for your parents to have. Yes. You're like, <laughs> you know, you get to, after school, we'd be like popping into the surgery. And then we all worked there in high school and it was, you know, quite hard work, but I really actually really enjoyed it. Um, lots of, you know, scrubbing kennels and, and uh, it was quite funny in high school. I got so strong because I was always wrestling with these dogs in the hydro bath. Because most people that bring their dogs in for a hydro bath, it's because they can't do it themselves because their dog doesn't want to be bathed. So this little like 16-year-old, you know, trying to do it. And I ended up actually winning the shot put in grade 12, even though I was like this lean little thing because I was just so strong from lifting dogs. Anyway, by the by. But, yeah, so, look, it was a super fun upbringing and uh, lots of, you know, really two amazing parents were always camping and outdoors. Mm. And uh, So I think, uh, you know, a real love of nature and the environment from a really young age which is, you know, continued to be a huge passion for me. Uh, Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think 
two gorgeous sisters who are just my best friends. And, you know, I always think, you know, sisters are a very good grounding influence in a girl's life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they don't let you get too far ahead of yourself, do they? <laughs> or so siblings true. in general, you know? Yeah. So, no, oh, I've, I've been that. very, very fortunate to have, yeah, two amazing sisters and they were, they were a great support through everything that I've been mm. through. Yeah. And you went on to this thriving career and Mamma Mia producing some very viral videos, which I'm sure a lot of listeners listening have probably watched and not even realized. What was that time like? And can you take us back yeah, to that time? And what was it like for you? Yeah, look, it was just really fun. You know, Mamma Mia is, was a really fun place to work. Uh, there were about a hundred women, which when I got there, which I was amazed that it was so big, I had sort of no mm. idea. And they were just such funny, kick-ass, like hilarious, um, stylish, you know, finger on the pulse women. And so just coming into this environment and everyone there was just really kind as well. I found like I came in, I started my first day and I was hugged about six times before I got to my <laughs> desk and, you know, so it was really fun. And I had an amazing team that I worked with um, of incredible video producers and my work wife, Claire there. And so it was just a really uh, fun time. And they, you know, Mia sort of said to me, make us famous for video. That's your job. Like, just go do that. And I was like, well, oh, I don't Amazing. Really know how to do that yet, but <laughs> let's figure it out. <laughs> and they're awesome as well. And you certainly did that. I think you fulfilled the brief too. And for a year while you were there, you just weren't feeling, as you put it, just not quite right. What yeah, was going I, on there? Yeah, I was just always uh, feeling a bit tired and a bit icky and a bit mm. achy. You know, I, I would wake up, I never felt refreshed, even though I'd mm. slept for eight, nine hours. Uh, and, you know, it just got harder and harder to sort of, I remember getting into work, you know, I used to get in at eight and then it became 8.15 mm. and then I'd be like racing to be there for the nine o'clock, you know, stand up meeting. Like it was just, uh, it was just becoming such a slog. And I was having, you know, some strange symptoms. Like I had really itchy skin, which I thought was like a food allergy. And I was having night sweats at night. So they were sort of on and off. And then they became night after night. I was waking up dripping in my clothes. And, you know, uh, my doctor, who was a really lovely human, but she just missed those signs and just sort of put it down to stress, overwhelm, you know. So we, we sort of did all these various tests, but got dead end after dead end. So they ended up just putting it down to stress and that I needed to rest more, you know, but no matter what I did, I just couldn't get on top of this pervasive tiredness. And I, I think I did get to a point where I just thought, maybe this is just what being an adult feels like. You just feel tired and stressed all the time. Mm, <laughs> you know, there's all those memes about that too. Yeah, yeah. it's all yeah, my back hurts. Right? Everyone's I'm tired. tired. Yeah. Everyone's stressed. Oh, being an adult, you know. But uh, I think it was a really, really hard lesson to learn, but an interesting lesson in that, you know, I say to everyone now, you're actually the world's leading expert on your own body. You're the only one that lives in it. You're the only one who knows what it feels like. And I think women as well, we have a really good intuition mm. and a really good intuition around our bodies that we're often disconnected from, you know, particularly when you're told that you don't know what, you know, you know, you're fine, you're this, you're that, but you've got to actually really sit in your body and feel how you feel and then be clear in articulating that and advocating for yourself, you know, and so particularly true. for women, I, you know, I write about it in the book, but we know that women take on average a lot longer to get diagnosed than men for cancer uh, and are way more likely to have our symptoms ascribed to mental health issues. Yeah. You know, I had a beautiful friend who 
had, uh, you know, we met through the cancer community. She had a 17 centimeter tumor in her chest. And by the time it was found, it had actually collapsed her lung. She was struggling oh to breathe. And they were telling her, oh, it's just anxiety. You know, so I think for women, even more so than men, we've got to just really be, you know, you can always be kind and polite and nice because I think that's always, you know, mm, a concern so for me. But you can still be forceful and advocate for yourself, you know. And if I had my time over again, I just wish I'd found the words to say, look, I appreciate that you're, you know, this is your opinion, but I need you to really understand I'm not sleeping I'm waking up feeling like this. This is seriously having a massive impact on my life and I need a better solution than just There has to be something else. Working. Yeah. Yeah. And you went for blood tests. So your parents pushed you to get these blood tests. So you, you wrote and you've said that you're like, oh, fine, I'll just do it kind of to keep them happy. And totally. that's when everything changed. Can you take us back through that to that day and walk us through that day? Yeah. So, look, I think... Um, my, my dad, as you know, as mentioned, was a vet and my mum was very clued into the symptoms because we'd sadly had a beautiful family friend pass away from lymphoma some years before. So she was really alarmed about the night sweats. So they insisted, they actually rang up my doctor and said, can we get her into a specialist because we're really worried that it's something more and we're worried it's lymphoma, which she was very sort of reluctant to do. Um, and, yeah, so I went in to see this specialist and she was, didn't seem particularly alarmed at first, although I think she was keeping me calm and she went, got me to get some more scans and we did a CT scan. And from that, we could see that my lymph glands were all quite enlarged because often with lymphomas, people will have a lump, a visible lump on their neck. For me, it was all in my chest cavity. So everything was hidden. And to the outside world, I looked really healthy. Like I didn't yeah. look any different to how I do now. So I think, you know, uh, and I always say to women too now, don't wear makeup to the doctor when you're feeling rotten because it really, you know, a spray tan, a bronzer, it really masks how you feel. Yeah. And so I went in and saw this specialist and I remember it was the first medical person who said to me, because I explained that I was waking up every night, I was in a lot of pain. And she just looked at me and I remember that never forget this moment. She just said, so this is having a really severe impact on your life. And it was the first medical person that had acknowledged that. Yeah. And I went, yeah, actually it is. Mm. And I hadn't realized that till then. I don't think either, you know, you keep pushing through, pushing through. So we got the CT scan. It looked like there were some lymph, um, lymph glands, enlarged lymph glands. But she said to me, you know, we're just going to do a little biopsy. It could be fine. It might just be something viral. So I honestly was not worried in the slightest. Yeah. I came back a week later to get the biopsy results. And my mum insisted on flying down from Queensland to come to me, uh, the appointment with me in Sydney. And I was like, mum, don't worry about it. Like, I've got a really busy day. Sophie Monk's coming in. We've got a, 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 a Facebook Live. You know, I'm too busy <laughs> to hang out. <laughs> too important. Um, and thank goodness she ignored me like all good mothers do. Yeah. And she just came anyway mother's intuition hey and so we sat down in that appointment and she just held my hand as you know the doctor said I'm so sorry the results are back and it's Hodgkin's lymphoma what that means is we just need to immediately clear your next three to six months and we're going to start you on a course of chemotherapy straight away and it was just you know one of those moments that you never ever think is going to happen to you no this you're like this only happens in the movies like this is a bad plot twist on neighbors you know <laughs> like, this yes. is not this is not something in my life and uh 
yeah, I remember mum just holding my hand and I think the doctor could see my mind just sort of running away and she just said, so I don't want you to Google anything. We're not going to think about treatment just yet. All I want you to do is just we're just going to think about the next three steps mm-hmm. and that is a blood test, a heart and lung test and getting an IVF appointment done um, tomorrow which was a whole nother can of worms. But I think it was just such good advice. And I really, I just used to come back to that all the time throughout the whole treatment when I was feeling a bit overwhelmed and a bit fearful or a bit worried. I'd just come back to, I'm not going to think about all those other things right now. What are just the next three things I have to do? You know, and I think that's helpful in any kind of, like I still use that now, be that being in lockdown and just feeling overwhelmed by when will this end ever come? Yeah. You know, just, just bringing yourself back to the immediate things. What can I achieve in this moment? Absolutely. That's such good advice. And then you're 31, you're told you have cancer. What goes through your mind and what, what, what are your next step? You know, what do you do from then? Yeah, well, I remember one of my first thoughts being, well, this is a pretty good excuse to not turn up to work today. <laughs> so that, that they're going to be like, okay, fair. Um, no, but yeah, I think, you know, it crystallizes instantly who the most important people in your world are, you know, and I think so many of us, we put, I, I love this theory. I learned it from the minimalists, actually, the, the guys that have that podcast. And they said, you know, in life, you have your primary people. And then you have your secondary outside of that. And then you have your periphery. And really, you should put all your energy, love, care into that primary. And if there's anything left over, it goes to the next group. And if there's anything left over, it goes to the next group. And I think so much of us spend a lot of our energy right in the periphery, don't we? And then like the closest and most important people don't necessarily get the best of us. And getting a cancer diagnosis, gosh, it is one hell of a way to go. Who really matters? Who do I need around me right now? And what is all the crap that just does not rate or matter, you know? And you realize how much energy we actually spend on such trivial, unimportant things, Yeah, you know? And it can sound kind of cliche, but it is. It's like, you just go far out. I'm going to die one day. And that could be really soon, actually, in this case. Who do I want to be around? What do I want to do with this time? And, you know, how do I want to spend it? Which is really what we should almost be asking ourselves on a really regular basis, I think. You know, we get so on autopilot and just go through the motions. But, yeah, so I think for me I wrote down a name of my most important people then and there that I wanted to speak to and let them know before they heard on the grapevine. Mm. two of whom being obviously the first two were my sisters. One was in London, one was in Canberra. So I arranged for a friend to be with them when I told them the news because I didn't want them to be alone and then get this news. Um, And, yeah, it was, you know, once again, just conversations you never imagined having. And I remember just calling each person and just saying, yeah, so unfortunately the results weren't what we wanted them to be and I've got lymphoma Like, you know, in the scheme of cancers, it's a really good one, but it does mean I'm going to have to do chemo and uh, get that underway pretty, pretty soon. And yeah, Mm. so it was just a, it was a big day. (laughs) And then mum and I went and I remember we went to the pregnant, we went to go buy pregnancy uh, vitamins. (laughs) at the the chemist, which I thought, wow, this day's really just taken such a (laughs) turn, hasn't it? Like this wasn't on my shopping list this morning. And then we were like, oh, let's just go sit in the sun and go have lunch by the sea. And we just had a lovely day where friends dropped in one by one as they heard the news and came and hung out. 
and mm. it was lovely. And I must say, in a strange way, it was the two weeks leading up to Christmas. And my housemate and I, the week before, had said, oh, we don't even have time to have a dinner party. We're just so busy. There's so much on. And then suddenly the house was just full every night of There's friends all... coming. Yes. And I thought, wow, this is actually what life should be like. It shouldn't take a crisis to create this kind of community. But, it, you know, it seems mm. to be that way. But, yeah, it was sort of actually, it was a lovely time in many ways. It's funny how those days, those pivotal days, those ones that you'll never forget, they have this certain, it's almost like, this might sound crazy, like almost a smell, you know, like a vibe to them, a smell to Mm. them, like you can remember what the weather was exactly like and what you were wearing and how it felt. And it almost just feels like this surreal dream sequence those days. Is that what it was like? Yeah, totally. I mean, honestly, the whole experience, like if I hadn't documented the whole thing, on video, you know, I look back on some of those moments sometimes and I just go, I just can't believe Mm. this was my life. (laughs) It still feels surreal sometimes, you know. Did that actually happen to me? Like, And, like, I've done a lot of interviews about this now, but I still will catch myself going, oh, yeah. on. (laughs) Hang on, was that me? Is that me? I had cancer. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Absolutely. And then so how soon after did you start treatment and what was that like? Yeah. So, I mean, I basically, the next day I went and had a, an IVF appointment. And so that was a whole other thing. I mean, I just felt incredibly fortunate to be able to have the opportunity to do that. Not everyone gets that time. So for me, uh, normally if you did IVF, you'd, you'd do a few months of it and get, you know, as many eggs as you want. They're like, we've got two weeks, we've got one crack at this and whatever we get, we get. And it'll be a lovely thing for you to know that you've got some eggs there waiting for you on the other side of this, you know, which it was. It, it was, I think, really helpful to know that. But, uh, yeah, and fortunately I got a good, good amount of eggs. But, you know, with my partner at the time, we're not together anymore. But, you know, what a pressure cooker moment oh, to be gosh. like, so are we making embryos or eggs? Or, like, we hadn't even talked about kids at that point. And, you know, you're suddenly then, well, if we don't, what does that mean? And, you know. So that was, that was challenging, but I think for me, there was just such a bigger thing looming that that was really, you know, so yeah, basically did, did the egg freezing, got through that and then flew home to the Gold Coast where I was going to do treatment, Um, moved in with mum and dad, packed up my life in Sydney and literally started chemo the next morning. Oh my God. So it was, yeah, it was a big whirlwind. How can, and this sounds like such a silly question because the answer is obvious, but what was that like? How did you feel? What was that process? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think like it's, it's funny about, I think really early on, on that first sort of day, uh, a girlfriend sent me some fabulous advice. She wrote this beautiful little note for me, took a photo. She lives in Amsterdam. She's an illustrator. And it just said, not all things have to be understood, just accepted. Wow. And that quote became my mantra during that first time. And I just came mm. back to it over and over. And I think that just helped so much in that first bit. Like it's not easy, but if you can find that acceptance, you know, be that being stuck in lockdown and not knowing when it's going to end and when life will go back to normal, you know, be that, you know, the grief of loss of someone you've lost, just when you can find that acceptance it's not easy necessarily, but it's really helpful in facing the task ahead. So I think really early on, I had the acceptance for what was happening. I allowed myself to feel what I was feeling. You know, I think I saw a psychologist in that first week and she said, 
I just want to give you permission that you don't have to like any single step of this. You don't have to look for silver linings. You can hate the whole thing if you want, which I thought oh, that's a bit extreme. <laughs> but, I love that though. That's such great advice. Yeah. You know, it just, it's just such another whole layer of pressure on you to mm-hmm. also then have to be this super positive person, totally. which, you know, at first I was like, I'm going to be the most positive cancer patient. I'm going to get an A triple plus in cancer. You know, it's going to be great. And then you're like, no, that's so unhelpful. Um, so I think, you know, accepting it early on, allowing myself to feel what I was feeling. But then, um, you know, I really, I suppose, mum and I early on, we just went, well, if we've got to do this anyway, how can we make this the most enjoyable version of this, you know? Mm. And that looked like simple things like I would always do my makeup and I wear bright pink lippy into yep. chemo because it just made me feel better. And I'd wear like uh, sparkly sneakers in that she bought me. And, you know, mum would always make a big... Uh, container of uh, bliss balls to take in for the staff and just little things like that that just made you know honestly I can honestly say I always had an enjoyable time when I went into chemo yeah because the staff was so beautiful like nurses are honestly yeah totally (laughs) angels on earth and I think they need to have their they all need to be paid triple what they are and just actually cherished by the community you know I think we so take them for granted until you're in that moment of need but, you know, just finding ways like that just to take it day by day, to not think too far ahead, I think was really key because, yeah, it's a lot. And certainly I was very, you know, I was fearful that morning going in to start chemo for the first time. Um, and all of my friends, actually, they all created a little video. They, mm. you know, recorded videos and put it together and they sent it to me for that first morning. And that was really lovely. Like each round of chemo, they did something together and sent it to me, which was just really just gives you a boost. And so Mm. I think, you know, if you're a support person, never underestimate just a small message, a video, a video message, a a little parcels and flowers, like every little bit really does help and gives you just a lift when you need it. Yeah. So look, it was crazy. It was a crazy time, but you know, all you can do is just keep putting one foot in front of the other and just, you know, getting on with it. Focus on those three steps in front of you, as you said before, which was such great advice. And you've spoken about the impact of losing your hair during this time. And as a young woman, like I can only, you know, so much wrapped up for a young woman in their hair, really. Um, how, what was the impact of that and how did that feel? Yeah, look, it was, you know, definitely one of the most challenging parts of the whole experience. Like mm. you said, it's such a big part of our look, our identity, how we show up in the world. And, you know, we probably put too much emphasis on it, but that's, you know, that's the world we live in at the moment. And yeah, for me, my sister gave me some excellent advice early on, my wise little sister, Rihanna. She just said, I had an idea that maybe as the hair starts to fall out, we could reframe it and sort of say, that means the medicine is working and that you're a day closer to good health than being out the other side of this. And look, it didn't take the pain away. It was still a really sad time when that hair did start coming out. Um, I got it cut into a little bob, like the day it started falling out. But then within two days, it was just sort of, you know, a bit of a mess. And it was making me feel so sad. Seeing it like that, I thought, okay, I'm ready just to shave it off. Uh, But I did. I I, I did have that, that thought that, okay, this is tough, but it means I'm actually one step closer to the other side of this. And yeah, and just once again, allowed myself to just mourn that loss and know that it wasn't trivial or silly. Mm. You know, it's actually, it was really valid to feel that way. And it was sad. There yeah. must be, it's such, it, 
I imagine it would be so symbolic of, I guess, really leaning into what's going on and the acceptance of it all, that process of shaving your head and just going, this is it, you know, this is the freight train I'm on and I I have to just keep going. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, before that, right, I was three weeks into chemo before my hair started falling out. So I looked so normal and so well. And I thought, gosh, you just never know what anyone's going through, do you? I was thinking when I was at the shops one day and I thought, wow, no one, no one has any idea what, what's happening right now. And it just it was such a good reminder that you just, you know, you can't judge people. You've just got to always just be that little bit kinder than might be necessary, even if someone's being a bit of a jerk, you know, because mm. you just don't know. And I think, yeah, it is that real marker, though. Once the hair was off, it was like, okay, now I look like a cancer patient. Um, and so I got a fabulous wig, actually, which was really great because, I, you know, I think, Pre-cancer, you sort of think, you think of wigs as like a costume party thing that just look horrendous. But the wigs these days are actually amazing. Like, um, and I remember putting it on one day and my sister Molly, who has similar like hair to mine normally going, I mean, I know this is a really bad thing to say, but like, I'm kind of jealous of how good your hair looks right now. Because <laughs> she just spent like an hour washing, drying, straightening. Yes. She's like, your, your hair looks so much better. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, small wins, you know, you've got to yes. take, take them where you can. Absolutely. <laughs> And you mentioned before that you documented the whole process as well, which I guess the content creator in you was never going to go away. Um, Why was it important for, to document and showcase and yeah, have evidence of everything that you were going through? Well, I think I was quite reluctant to film at the beginning, you know, ever the content maker. I, I actually thought, Oh, I don't, I don't know about this. And on that very first day, my friend said to me, hey, if you can, I think it would be really great to just go tuck yourself away in your room and put down your thoughts. And I just said, I just really, really don't want to. I don't feel like it. And they were quite persistent. So I think you really should. I was like, I really don't want to. Please, please do. So I thought, yeah, you know, they're probably right. It could be interesting to come back and see what the, what was going through my head on that first day. And so the very first opening shot of the video where I say, I do feel scared, that was on that first day when it was like, you know, I think the pain level was probably the highest of the whole experience because it's just such a new big thing that your Mm. mind is grappling with Mm. and the shock just keeps hitting you in waves. Like you forget for 10 minutes and then you go, oh, my God, yeah, that thing happened today, you know. Um, And so, yeah, I just started documenting as I went with the encouragement of friends and family and um, my friends pulled together and bought me a bunch of filming equipment, which was really lovely. So it meant wherever I went in hospital, I had a little stand for my, my phone and a little microphone and a little light. And I'm just so grateful that they encouraged me to do that and that I did it because what, you know, like we said at the beginning, it can just feel so surreal and you forget what you did, but then to watch it back, it's like, wow. And then I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it, but I think that was the great advice from my dear friend, David. He just said, just start, just film it. You can decide later or you can do nothing with it. And I think that was very freeing knowing that I didn't have to, this could just be for me if I wanted it to be. Um, because I think that's what stops a lot of people sometimes, you know, yeah. not, not that they're going through cancer and recording it, but even just if they're running a business or they want to start doing video, they're like, oh, I'm too nervous. It's like, well, just start. You don't have to put it anywhere. Yeah. So, you know, so that was great advice. Yeah. And so I did that. 
Uh, and then, yeah. And so basically at the end I thought, oh, well, short form videos, my, my love. So could I, could I tell this whole story and this whole journey in just a few minutes, which is what we set out to and do. And you did. It is just, that's the video that I mentioned earlier that I was sobbing on the couch to <laughs> because it's just, it just is so impactful. And it's not that you've, it's not that I was crying because you've spun it in a way that, you know, I don't know, makes people feel sorry for you in any way at all. It's not that at all. It's just, it's so kind of takes your breath away to just to see such an, a huge journey being condensed in such a beautifully packaged. And I don't want to use the word positive because we don't like, I hate toxic positivity, but just this really meaningful I think meaningful. Yeah. yeah. It's really, you must be look back on that and just almost, um, you know, be so proud. I suppose it gives you that would give you that um, evidence to look back on that this all happened. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. That's a good way to put it. And I think it's been so beautiful having so many people reach out off the back of watching the video, particularly a lot of cancer patients, people that are in treatment right now or have been through it. And so many of them said to me, I feel like you just articulated my mm. experience word for word. And it's given something, me something that I can share with my friends and family to sort of say, this is what I went through. And so I've never really thought of it, you know, as a content creator, I'm always thinking, why would someone share? Why would someone share? But that was such a beautiful outcome of it that they were like, you've given voice to my experience and then helped me articulate what happened, which was really beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely did that. And you talked about your relationship with grief during this time. There would have been, imagine an, a mourning period for a life that you once had that you knew wasn't just going to be quite that again. How did you navigate that? And what's, what was your relationship like with grief during this time? And even now, possibly? Yes. Well, I think it was interesting to me to basically learn that when we're in trauma, we can't process trauma yes. because it's just a survival mechanism, right? Your body's like, get through the chemo, do this, do that, da, 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 da. And you literally, your body and your mind won't allow you to process it because you're just in survival mode. And I didn't really realize that. So I think when I finished chemo, that's actually when it emotionally got the hardest of the whole journey, interestingly, because, you know, I think you think, oh, then I'll be through it and then it'll just be about recovery. And literally 100% of cancer patients I've spoken to say that's when it all kind of falls apart wow. for them. And then just knowing that was helpful. And that's kind of what I always want to let other cancer patients know, not to scare them, but just to give them a heads up, like, hey, I know for me, it felt really hard at this point because then you have time to process it. So yeah. I think it was like finding acceptance in a whole nother way, you know, which I've really struggled with because I mean, I'm dealing with chronic fatigue still. It's very common post chemo and like three years out of it, right? You just want to be like, can I just go back to living yeah. my life, people? And you can't. And that's a whole nother really challenging thing to wrap your head around that you're going to feel really awful a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and there's nothing you can really do about it other than rest and pace yourself. And it's still something I'm navigating. And I've been going to the UNSW chronic fatigue clinic, which is a really fantastic resource, which is also probably great for people that are starting to experience the effects of long COVID, you know, which yes. really is like a chronic yes. fatigue of sorts. Cause it's a, it's a really living with something chronic is just a whole nother ball game, you know? And that's why in, in the book, I actually got my friend Jenna, who was a huge source of inspiration and, and support to me in the beginning to write a whole chapter on how she's learned to navigate 
living with at times debilitating chronic fatigue. And what do you do when it's just like this too shall pass doesn't apply. Like it's going to always (laughs) be with you, you know? Um, But I remember watching Michelle Obama's documentary a few years ago. And this, this girl on her, it was on her book tour around America. It was, it's a beautiful documentary, but this young girl said to her, you've just had eight years in the white house. How do you get your life back on track from that? And this line that she said so resonated with my journey of health. She just said, what track? There is no track. There's oh. no track to get back on. She said, it's just all different now. And it's, a, it's about finding the new track and that's okay, but it's going to take time to figure out what that is. And it's going to take time to figure out what you're passionate about and what you want to spend your life doing, you know? Oh, it's giving me tea. Oh. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Oh. I know. I felt exactly the same. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, it's beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. It gave me, yeah, that gave me all the goosebumps. You know, when it lands, when it does that, you know, you get the tears mm. and you're like, oh my gosh. Yes. It's, it's beautiful. It's so true that, it, that, that there is no other track. This was always probably the track that you were going on. Yeah. And also like, I think I wasted so much energy and exhausted myself so much in that first year or two after cancer, trying to force myself back into that life. You know, I can party and I can drink and I can still like, I'm still fun and I'm still the great Bryony that I was. And I'm like, actually, I'm a very different Bryony now and that's fine. And that's okay. And I've got to let go of that fear of what that means and what that looks like. And if that will mean different people come and go from my life and that's okay. You know? Absolutely. Oh, how beautiful. And after all this time of treatment, you're then told you are in remission. What goes through your mind when you hear these words and what what do you do after that? (laughs) Well, I was as shocked as when I found out I had cancer, to be honest, because I was very fortunate to get good news, you know, while I was still in chemo. And I remember just, well, my first question was, what's remission? (laughs) Because I just wasn't that cancer literate, you know. I was Mm. like, what does that mean? And my specialist said it means we can't see the cancer in your body. So it was just a beautiful, wonderful day. I was there with my mum, my dad and my sister. And as we walked outside the hospital, I never forget, we all just bear hugged in this sort of circle and we all just lost it. And we all, like, it was the first time I'd seen my mum and my dad cry during this whole experience. No. We all just sobbed. And I thought, gosh, anyone walking past would think they've had some really bad news. <laughs> but it was just joyous, you know. And I thought, wow, this moment, I'll remember this for as long as I live, but this is what life is about, you know. Absolutely. Like, and we so often just take for granted our good health. But if you wake up and you feel well, like, that is an amazing gift and everything else is like sprinkles on top of the ice cream, you know? So absolutely. I I was diagnosed early this year with um, chronic fatigue. So I have some insight. Oh goodness. Yes. So I have some insight and some days, and you're right. Some days when you wake up feeling fine, you just think, and you want to do, and I saw you write about it. You want to do everything because you can. And make up for lost time and, come, and then when it comes and it's i'm kind of feeling it this morning which is probably why i'm I, i'm this emotional mess <laughs> to you and i keep crying that the flare-ups make you just want to just go back to bed for days totally you know? and yeah. it's interesting because i feel like we've actually got quite similar energy you know we're sort of yes, uh, expressive you, and, you know yes. and 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 that means we give out a lot of energy you know so in true what we do so it's been a really hard thing and um you know in the book I, I wrote a little section that was just like it's okay to be flat lemonade and, and that came out of a conversation with my mum because i was like i feel like 
my nature is to be bubbly and to be vibrant. And if I don't have that, I'm not me. I don't know what I'm doing here. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and I remember her saying, it's okay to be flat lemonade. Like you're still sweet. You're still you. You're still beautiful. We still love you as you are, but you just don't have the bubbles for now. And that's okay. Learning um, that skill of retreating inwards can be hard for an extroverted personality as well. And just going really and slow time and just being like, oh, I have to do just myself right now yes, like it's just this I know strange thing right and do you know the thing I because I you know I mentioned I've been going to this chronic fatigue clinic yeah and they got me to map out my whole week and then they looked at it and they said so you don't rest ever and I was like yes I do like I sat down there and I read a book and I listened to a podcast and I chilled out you know doing that and they were like yeah none of those things are actually rest so they all require a really high cognitive load. So even driving, driving is one of the most cognitively so intense true. activities you can do. Uh, they said they'll get people often that will come in and say, but I literally just sat down and watched television for five hours yesterday resting. And they're like, yeah, that, that is not resting. That, that is so much cognitive load for your brain. So they That's said the exactly only thing, what I do. <laughs> well, here we go. This could, be the best, this could be the most helpful part of the conversation. Yes. They just said literally the only thing that counts as resting is getting a cup of tea and just staring out the window and just being you know and so other things I've found helpful because like actually to sit and do nothing is so hard yes and to not be on your phone and not check Facebook quickly or whatever but like actually if you can be in nature is I find really good like you're just mm. lying down looking at the clouds moving past or watching the trees sway or watching some water trickle past they're the things for me that I find okay, I can actually do this. I can actually sit here for five minutes. Like, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, I find it hard to do it for more than five minutes. But, yeah, so after this conversation this morning, and I recommend you do it too. I don't know what your process is. But I will probably now just go and try and have 15 Decompress. minutes where I do nothing. Yeah. Interesting. Normally what I will do now is I'll go straight on to the next thing and straight on to the next thing. Yes. Yeah, you know, that's and what I'm already check, thinking. Check your phone and scroll yes. Instagram for 10 minutes and, oh, I should post that and I've got to get back to that person and, and it's you, you can't. You yeah. just got to pace yourself. Yeah. Oh, that is such sage advice. Absolutely. Mm. I, will, I will do that now. <laughs> I thought I was resting, but I was not. In the process of all of this, you've written this incredible book that we touched on earlier, Life's Tough, But So So Are You. What do you hope readers get out of it when they pick it up and they start flicking through? Yeah. Like I really just wanted to create the book I would have loved to have had on that day when I got that, you know, that huge news. And I think I got given a lot of books, but they felt a bit dense and scary and they were black and white and I didn't know what they contained and I was scared of them, if I'm honest. Mm. And so I didn't even want them near me. I didn't actually even want them in my room, let alone reading them. And so I wanted to create the antithesis to that. I wanted to create something that was like, hey, it just felt like a friend that's been there, done that, has come through the other side and is like, I'm going to just step you through this. You got this, you know, this is tough. This is awful but you actually, you have the, what you need inside you to get through this. And I'm going to help you just keep, keep on track and, you know, bring in what other support mechanisms you might need as you go. So, yeah. And, you know, the feedback has been, oh, like on a daily basis, I will just get the most like moving message from someone, you know, this beautiful girl reached out the other day who coincidentally had read my book and the day after got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma oh my God. at the same age as me. And she said, I just feel so empowered from reading the book. I feel like I have all the steps I now need to really face this head on. Not saying it's going to be a cure all, but I think 
Like it's everything that I would want to tell someone that's going through something challenging, not just cancer or a health crisis, be it a break, you know, a breakup, be it a miscarriage, be it just, just the overwhelm of being in lockdown and just really Mm. struggling with it. I've had so many people reach out saying, I got this during lockdown and gosh, it's helped, you know? And so that's that's just been it's been amazing. It's been the best part for me of the whole process. Absolutely. This whole podcast is about turning lemons into lemonade. How, I guess, and how does it feel knowing, you know, you've turned something that it was so difficult to put it lightly into an opportunity to help other people and to get these kind of messages and knowing that you're inspiring hope or helping people feel less alone or um, feeling inspired to get to keep on moving. How does it feel knowing, I guess, that that's what you're playing a part in? Oh, it's just, it's an amazing feeling. I have to say, you know, I think in some ways it helps you make sense of the trauma that you've been through and gives it some kind of reason, even though, you know, I don't believe all things happen for a reason. I, I'm very much like, you know, things, bad things just happen and that's just what happens. Good things can come out of them, but yeah, it's been, it's been a magical experience. And I think really um, was really formative was my time at Mamma Mia and seeing Mia Freeman and a lot and Holly Wainwright and a lot of the other amazing women there who just share so openly and so vulnerably and so honestly, and how helpful that is when you do that, when you share from a place of real authenticity. And so that's what I think seeing them as sort of role models in, in just, just share it and say it how it is really helped me find the courage to do that as well. Because, yeah, it's obviously not the easiest thing to film yourself being bald and, you know, looking horrendous <laughs> and put that out into the world. But I think I just once again I found this point of acceptance and going, yeah, that was that chapter of my life. That's what I look like and mm. that's that's what life is, you know. Absolutely. That's so funny you say that actually because, when my really shitty year in 2017, um, when I became a single mom to my son and all I, I wrote all about it and Mamma Mia was who published it. So I had all these oh, in the months after, and it was this space that as you, uh, as you were articulating helps you be so honest and open in the hope that it is, helps just someone out there. Yeah. And yeah, that's what it absolutely. did for me. And it's fun. It's just interesting that it's, it's created this, I guess, energetic space, if you will, for that, hasn't it? Yeah. And it leads to lovely connections as well, mm. you know, because I think, and I think I write about it in the book, but living is giving. I really do believe that, you know, and the, it, it always in my life has, has seemed to be the case that the more you give, it comes back a hundredfold always. Mm. So yeah, mm. absolutely. And how has what you've been through, do you think, changed you as a person? Who are you these days? Yes. Well, I mean, physically, I'm a lot more tired all the time. <laughs> but, but the flip side of that is it means I have less energy to give. Mm-hmm. So I have to be much more selective about what I put my energy into. I'm sure you probably have the same mm-hmm. experience, you know. And that's a good thing ultimately, you know. I think we can waste a lot of energy on people and things and you know they just don't matter and I just don't get as I think phased by some things that I would have used to like you know it's like oh well it's not cancer big deal yeah I think it's been really helpful navigating the uncertainty of a pandemic though I am very fortunate to not be in lockdown right now so I can't really talk in that regard but you know the uncertainty of when I'm going to see family and friends again and, and you know gosh, you know, work and all these sort of things. You just sort of, I think I I sort of see life now a bit more like an ocean and the waves just come no matter what, right? And some are 
summer big storms (laughs) and some days it's flat and calm but the waves are always going to come and so if you can adopt that mentality of just kind of flowing with it and going with it no matter what you know and you are going to be okay and there's clear clear skies and you know flat seas ahead uh but yeah i think i also it's just really firmed up my resolve to use my time purposefully while i'm here you know i think of your legacy and and work on that now and for me i know you know, we are living completely out of balance at the moment, human mm. beings, for our own health and our own energy. But look at what we're doing to our planet, you know. And, and I, I think I've thought a lot about that, that interdependence between our health and planetary health. Like if we don't look after, if we don't have fresh air and beautiful, clean water, you know, all this, these are the most valuable things in the world, actually. And yet we sort of treat them like a given and we can do whatever we want to them. You know, and I I do always, I've always loved since I was a kid, that Native American quote that just says, we are not the web of life. We are just one strand within it. Mm. And what we do to the web, we do to ourselves. So I've been thinking a lot more about that and our connection to our our environment and, and how we as a human species can get to a place of sustainability because we really need to change the way we do everything. And for me, that's not anymore an overwhelming, scary thing. That's actually an exciting thing, you know, like the idea that one day we're all going to be driving around electric cars and we're not going to be breathing in, you know, deadly particulate, like that's exciting. Like Mm. that's not a fearful thing. That's like the future is awesome. We've just got to, you know, we just need everyone raising their voice in some way, even if it's a little way, you know, and when we look at the issue of climate change, we know that the vast majority of Australians believe in it, want action on it, and our politicians are that blocking ground at the federal level anyway. Yes. And yes. I think sometimes, once again, you know, we're in lockdown. There's so many other competing stressful things. And I used to feel like that was just one more big layer of overwhelm for me, whereas now I see it like, well, what's the one thing I can do to chip away at it and, and raise my voice? Because we know that we just need, you know, millions and millions of people just raising their voice and totally. we are much more powerful. So. And yeah, living a to more go, meaningful to go, life. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. to go micro and macro, that's kind of where my head's been, uh, yeah, in the aftermath of all this. And, that's, yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. I had um, all the chills when you are saying the wave metaphor as well because I've actually got a wave tattooed on me because of that oh exact thing. Yeah, it's just the most beautiful yeah, metaphor, I suppose, of life, right, that it's just sometimes it it'll crash and sometimes there'll be smaller waves and, and sometimes you can just cruise through it but sometimes you kind of get, swept up in the turmoil of it but it keeps passing it does yeah yeah i love oh, that i love that oh, <laughs> i know all the chills now my final question briny i ask all my guests the same question and that is what would the briny now in front of me tell the briny in her darkest moments when i'm sure everything felt very scary and very difficult yeah i would have just said you know i think really the title of the book sums it up this is tough. Life is tough, but so are you, you know, Mm -hmm. I would just, I would just say to that Bryony on that day one, I'm so sorry. You have to go through this. It's going to be tough, but you've got this and you can get through this and you're going to be, you know, a stronger, wiser, more wonderful version of yourself on the other side. It's, it's going to be okay. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Thank you for being so generous with your, story and your wisdom and everything that you've been through. I'm so appreciative. 
of the last oh, 45 minutes. So <laughs> it's been it so lovely to connect and, so good. you know, and share our, our, our shared experience as well yes. of dealing with the, the ongoing lovely friend that is chronic fatigue. Yes. Um, it's, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a joy. It's a thrill, but um, it's always nice. Someone gets it. So <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. Thank yeah. you again, Bryony. I'm so appreciative and I can't wait for, and I, I'll put the link to the book and everything in the show notes because I can't recommend it enough. And the kind of listeners that listen to this podcast, I think would love that because a lot of them are going through a bit of a tough time of their own. So yes, Amazing. thank you again. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Elizabeth. It's so <laughs> wonderful to connect and just spend this time with you. It's been really beautiful. Thank you so much for listening to this chat. I'll pop everything you need, all the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd love for you to post it on social media and tag me. If not, I'd appreciate it so much if you could hit subscribe, five stars, leave a positive review, any combination of the above, really. All of it really helps get the podcast out there. Thanks once again. Chat next time. 